Lately, Will Aremis has been feeling a little queasy. It's just been twists and turns and, you know, drama. Like, as someone covering this, I've had the feeling that, like, let me off this ride. (laughs) You know, I'm feeling sick. Will is a Washington Post writer who reports on the world of tech. These days, that means a lot of reporting about Elon Musk and his $44 billion bid to buy Twitter. Some people were shocked to hear that the richest man in the world, the founder of Tesla and SpaceX, would spend that much to buy a social media company that, over its history, has mostly lost money. But not Will. It's hard to be stunned by anything Musk does. I mean, he's, he's a guy these days who enjoys provoking. He, he enjoys sparking conversation and outrage and trolling people. And as long as he's the center of attention, he seems to be pretty happy. So, I, you know, I think the only really surprising thing here is, is the idea that he might actually want the responsibility of running this, this platform that is, you know, it's probably going to make him uh, hated by a lot of people no matter what he does. There's still some lingering doubt over whether Elon Musk will actually complete his purchase of Twitter. Musk is mercurial enough that, who knows, anything could happen. But the news that Twitter accepted Musk's offer sent lots of people into paroxysms, including many Twitter employees. There's been tears, there's been anguish, there's been, you know, people updating their LinkedIn profile. Um, You know, I I assume there's a little enthusiasm within the company, but I think mostly the people that I've, I've heard from are, are horrified. Should we all be horrified? Sometimes it's a little hard to know exactly what Elon Musk's intentions are. We just have to read the tea leaves of his tweets to figure out what he actually has in mind. Today on the show, Twitter is the platform of choice for politicians, journalists, academics, and many other agenda setters. Twitter influences conversations that take place in newsrooms and statehouses. What happens if the company's placed in the hands of a pugnacious, provocative plutocrat like Elon Musk? I'm Seth Stevenson, in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. We'll be back in a moment. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. In all the discussion around Elon Musk and Twitter about free speech and culture wars and who controls the public square, it might be easy to forget that at the heart of this is a business transaction. A man is spending $44 billion to purchase a company, which raises a question. Is Twitter a good buy? If there is a business case for Twitter becoming a lucrative thing to own, nobody has yet convincingly articulated it. This is a company that has always struggled to turn its enormous influence on the public conversation and on news and and politics and culture into 
money. And and part of the issue there is that like Twitter is a place where people go on to discuss the the terrible news of the day and the, and the, you know and the the bitter arguments that they have with people who disagree with them and, and it's not necessarily a place that's friendly for advertisers. Musk does think that he can shift them away from advertising and toward more of a subscription business where people pay for premium features, maybe people pay to get verified and get that blue check mark next to their names, uh, maybe they pay to get an ad-free experience. I think that's, you know, of all the ideas that he has has uh, uh, espoused for Twitter, that's one of the least crazy of them. I think that might actually be a promising tack for him to take. But turning it into a huge money-making machine, I, I don't see it. You mentioned it makes money in part by selling ads. It's had some success with that, although not tremendous success with that. It also makes some money selling those subscriptions. But how many social media platforms make a lot of money from charging people to use the platform? Yeah, I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. They have a, a pilot project called Twitter Blue where you get this like nifty little feed of the articles that are being most shared by people in your network on a given day. You get this little timer so that when you when you send a tweet, it actually waits to publish it so you can look it over and make sure you're not making a complete idiot of yourself before you publish it. Um, but but it's, it's like it's, it's not a significant part of the business now. So to make it a significant part of the business would be a fairly Herculean effort as, as far as social network uh, business goes. The other way it makes money is selling user data. Any word from Elon Musk on how he'd like to use that user data? Right. So, I mean, so Twitter, like like Facebook, will tell you we don't sell users' data, which is, is strictly true. They're not taking your personal data and, and putting it out for the highest bidder who then gets to own your personal data. But what they do, much like Facebook and other, other free internet platforms, is they track your behavior. They see what you like and who you follow, and they use that information to target you with ads, right? It's the core of their business, but um, it has it has not served them particularly well. It does mean that they have a lot of data on us, um, just like Facebook does. They also are able to track us across the web. You know, when we go, Twitter has little tracking beacons that can tell when we visited a website. That is absolutely valuable data. Uh, what Musk will do with it, I'm not sure. I mean, we could probably you could probably sketch out some worst case scenarios um, for for what what a guy who really likes going after his critics and trying to silence them might do with a bunch of personal data on on all his critics. But uh, you know, I, I, short of that, I, I think we just don't know what his plans are for for harnessing the power of that data. What about the ideological motivation for for buying Twitter? He's talked a lot about free speech and how important that is, and how Twitter is the public square. Is that the driving motivating factor for him do you think i think it probably is in one form or another and and there we kind of have to separate the idealistic way that he talks about it with his actual behavior <laughs> i mean you know he he went on this ted talk with the with the head of ted the ted head and said that it was he really just has this profound belief in truth so i was just a- absolutely obsessed with truth just obsessed with truth the obsession with truth is why I studied physics. So that's the the idealistic version of it that he's that he's sort of selling. In practice, it seems like what he didn't like about Twitter was that they were trying to moderate the platform, that they were trying to uh, prevent it from being used for 
hate speech for her, for what they deem hate speech. You know, he wouldn't, he maybe would not deem it hate speech. Um, you know, he's a guy who's posted jokes about Nazis. Like he feels like that's a thing he should be able to do. And that, that to, to moderate that is, is an impingement on his free speech. In practice, that seems like the kind of vision that he has of free speech is that people should be able to say literally anything, even if it's racist or hateful or, or bullying. And he didn't like the fact that Twitter was trying to tamp down on those, on those more vitriolic and, perhaps ugly aspects of its platform. Does he think he can actually improve how Twitter functions for the average user? He's talked about adding an edit button. You know, I guess the argument is he can engineer rockets and electric cars, so maybe he can engineer a better social media experience. Yeah, Seth, Seth I think Elon Musk thinks he can improve anything. You know, he, he thinks his his one of his core beliefs, by all accounts, from childhood, growing up in South Africa, was that he was smarter than everybody around him, and that he could see the world in a way that they couldn't, and he could see through the BS, and that he could fix things. And so, at certain times, he has been you know proven right on that. Right, like everybody thought that electric cars couldn't be done. He said they can be done, and damn it, I'm going to show it, and he did. He built a private rocket company when people said that what that couldn't be done, um, and so his life experiences have have only reinforced this belief that that he can do anything. And I think we're starting to see over time as he as he branches into more and more wild projects. I mean, he's got Neuralink where he's trying to put computers in people's brains. He's got the Boring Company where he's trying to send hyperloops underground and tunnels. It's pretty clear he's overextended, and I think he's reaching into realms at this point where he he cannot actually do things as well as he thinks. And I, I, I suspect that Twitter will be one of those. Your experience of Twitter, what you think is good or bad about Twitter, might be different if you have 80 million Twitter followers or 86 million Twitter followers and you're the richest man in the world and you're a lightning rod for attention than if you're like someone with 50 followers who just wants to use Twitter when the basketball game's on so you can see what everybody's saying about the basketball game. Does Elon Musk have enough perspective about what you're sort of the bulk of Twitter users' experience to be able to apply that to to what he's going to do? Or is his experience of Twitter so singular that he can't possibly empathize with the average Twitter user? If he does have that kind of perspective on what Twitter is like for the for the ordinary user who's not Elon Musk, he hasn't really evinced it much. Part of the thing about running a company like Twitter is that in order to do it successfully, you need to realize that you're not the only person in the world and your experience is not representative of everybody's experience and you need to be able to build things for people who experience it in different ways and who want different things out of the platform and Musk has given very little indication that that he understands that um, but he does he just does, hasn't shown a lot of interest in the product uh, innovations he seems mostly focused on this idea that changing the business model uh, getting rid of crypto spam bots and opening up the the free speech to everybody will turn around Twitter as a company When we come back, what will Elon Musk's Twitter look like? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Before Elon Musk entered the picture, things had been looking up at Twitter. It got a new CEO last year, Parag Agrawal, as previous CEO and co-founder Jack Dorsey stepped aside to focus on other projects. The company seemed focused on making Twitter a more hospitable place to be. Less abuse, less disinformation. Employee morale was on the rise. A lot of people came to Twitter because they felt like it was headed in a direction they believed in in recent years. Um, they, they came a lot came because they were on board with this project Twitter was working on, that sort of loosely under the banner of what it called healthy conversations. Now, healthy conversations are probably not what anybody thinks of first when they think of the experience of using Twitter. It's historically been sort of a, a thunderdome, a shouting match, you know, a, a, a culture war battleground. But the company had been earnestly working on giving users a lot of tools to to control their experience, to mute, to block, to report people for harassment, uh, stepping up their efforts to enforce their rules against harassment and bullying and doxing. And uh, I think a lot of the employees had bought into that vision. And Musk has made it clear that that's not his interest. I, I think he wants to take it back to the Thunderdome. Buying Twitter certainly hasn't reduced the pace of Elon Musk's tweeting. He's tweeted about what free speech means to him. He's tweeted about how he thinks Twitter should be politically neutral. And he's also used his Twitter account to direct some harsh criticism at Twitter executives. Let's talk about what Twitter will look like, assuming this deal goes through, and when Elon Musk owns it. Will Twitter become a miserable place to work? I think for, for a lot of the women at Twitter and, and people of color at Twitter, it, it's, it has already become miserable. And now they have to decide, like, do they stick around and see how it shakes out? Like, is there a chance that the sale doesn't go through? Do, do they jump ship and go someplace else? Do they sign a, you know, a letter of protest? Do they, you know, what are they, I think that's where their thinking is right now. Not like, okay, you know, how, how can we, how can we make the best of the situation? I think that, I think he's kind of torched whatever, you know, whatever hopes a lot of those folks might have had. And maybe that's on purpose. You know, maybe he wants to clean house. Maybe he thinks that kind of like Donald Trump wanted to come into the White House and drain the swamp. Musk maybe wants to drain the swamp of Twitter, you know, kick out all the people who have been there and, and bring in his own folks. But certainly in the meantime, it's, it's going to be a terrible experience for them. Everything I've read suggests that figuring out content moderation on Twitter was a years-long, very difficult process can he just come in and open it up and and have it work, or is that a Pandora's box when once you start doing that? I think it remains to be seen exactly what he'll do in the direction of making Twitter more hospitable to free speech. Does does he come in and just unilaterally reinstate people who have been banned from from Donald Trump to Alex Jones to Milo Yiannopoulos? Does he disband the teams that were working on those idealistic goals like healthy conversations? Does he govern by tweet? You know, does he does he does he fire off angry tweets every time uh, somebody comes to him complaining that they've been moderated or censored on Twitter? I, I, I don't I don't think we know yet exactly how it will play out, but I, I think a fair bet. And, and and this was an idea raised by Charlie Warzel in, in a newsletter for the Atlantic the other day that I agreed with. The most likely scenario is that. 
basically Twitter goes back to what it was like circa 2016, 2017, when it really was a, a place where you could you could try to report people for bullying or harassment, but you wouldn't get a response most of the time. They wouldn't do anything about it. But it, I think if he continues to pursue this vision, the, the history of social media says that a wide open platform with no rules is a platform that will inevitably be dominated by the loudest and most domineering voices, and that over time, all the all the nice folks will will leave and go someplace else. At SpaceX and Tesla, Elon Musk is known as somebody who really gets in the weeds. He's really hands-on, micromanaging at times, involved in specific projects at a really granular level. Do we expect him to be that way at Twitter? Is he going to become like steeped in European regulatory policy and, and just in there in the same way that he has been in these more engineering-focused businesses? I would take exception to only one part of that premise, which is that I don't know that even at Tesla and SpaceX, he's really gotten steeped in regulatory policy. He, you know, he, he'll fight the regulators, but I don't know that he has a great interest in, interest in the art of compliance <laughs> based, on his, based on his track record of running afoul of regulations. I guess that's more central to to Twitter's business, maybe, than it is at SpaceX or Tesla. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the issue. I mean, look, I, I know there are going to be people who listen to this and think, oh, this guy's just a Musk hater. You know, look, the guy's built electric cars. He's built rockets. How hard could running a social network be? I, I think he's done amazing things in, in the fields of uh, energy storage, batteries, electric vehicles, aerospace engineering. And by all accounts, I mean, I was talking to our, our longtime aerospace reporter the other day to get a sense of how Musk runs SpaceX. You know, he, he gets in and tinkers with the Falcon rocket. Like he, ha- he has notes for the engineer who's working on the door hinge of the Tesla Model X or whatever. Like he, he really loves engineering problems and he seems to have a, a real, real aptitude for it. Um, and whether he can bring that to bear effectively on uh, something like Twitter is not is not as clear to me because Twitter, you know, is really about designing for the the different experiences of all types of users and all types of people, and I, I haven't seen that as a strong suit for Elon in the past. We've seen over the decades how a social media platform can be the cool place to be, and then suddenly it's not the cool place to be. Is there a danger for Elon Musk that in getting involved in Twitter and in such an opinionated way that he he risks making Twitter no longer the place people want to be? Yeah, I think that is a real danger. I mean, I would have thought it was less of a danger a few days ago, but but seeing his behavior just in the, in the past few days, he seems determined to make this ideological to make the, to make this polarizing he loves getting a, a rise out of the left he seems to feed on that and that is going to turn twitter into a place where people on the left start thinking well maybe this isn't the place for us you know maybe 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 we go someplace else that said it's uh, these shifts take a long time right like people have been threatening to leave facebook for how long and and only just a quarter or two ago for the first time ever did Facebook actually lose users. And even then, Instagram's still growing. So it, it takes a long time to, to turn the ship into the iceberg, you know. Um, but, it, but it seems like it could be headed in that direction. And, and, you know, betting against Musk, you could certainly go broke if you had bet against Musk on certain things. But as he takes on more and more projects, more and more of them are, are failing or just getting forgotten or, or not panning out the way he hopes. And my sense is that there's a good chance that Twitter will be one of those. Will Remus, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Seth. Good talking to you. 
Willa Remus writes about technology for The Washington Post. That's it for the show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next? Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Seth Stevenson. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.